when you are traveling, whom you're traveling with matters. Companions can enhance your trip or make your trip miserable. This is normally entirely your choice. However, sometimes in some kind of Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde fashion, you don't find out what you're traveling with until it's too late. And that is exactly what happened to me. This is Rocky Streb on the road for part two of the Old Man's Podcast Roadshow. Once again, coming to you from his car in a parking lot at an exotic location. You're going to find out all about on this episode of the Old Man's Podcast. Get off my grass! I have a horrifying travel tale. I'm traveling with a person I really can't stand. She just can't shut her mouth. I enjoy traveling with a little peace and quiet, heading down the road, alone in my thoughts, listening to the music that I choose, maybe a podcast, but a little bit of quiet for my traveling partners would be appreciated. This one, she just randomly has to pipe off, talking like she knows everything. And this know-it-all, you know how I feel about know-it-alls, has to open her fat mouth at the worst possible time, like right when a good song just gets started. I swear she's doing it on purpose. And I'm reaching my limit and may have to put her out of my misery. Those of you that know me, if you never see me again, I'm probably in prison for some kind of road rage incident you'll hear about or read about in the newspaper. One more time, one more time, this pretentious person opens her mouth like she knows everything, telling me how to drive. One more time, and I'm going to kill her. I swear I will. I can't stand her fat, ugly mouth and her snooty-sounding voice. I simply can't stand my wife's Siri. I hate Siri. Siri will die. Mark my word. Did I have you on that one? Could you figure out I was talking about Siri ahead of time? You didn't actually think I was talking about my wife, did you? Of course not. Yep, I have a Siri problem. My wife, the lovely human being that she is, she just wants to help. She has an iPhone, and she'll turn her Siri on or ask for directions from Siri every now and again. Now, I don't have an iPhone. I have an Android. So Alexa is my Android mistress, and she's much more respectful. She knows how to keep her mouth shut. I really like that in a woman. woman's voice used to provide GPS guidance like Alexa. Sometimes Siri's piping off, we don't even ask. It's like she's listening to us and she just jumps in and tells us what to do and where to go. Alexa, she'd never do that to me. She's too sweet. 
Aside from Siri on this trip, the second half is going good. Last week I brought you the first half from sunny, warm Cocoa Beach where the temperatures were in the 80s. Now I am in Colonial Williamsburg and trust me, the temperature is nowhere near 80 degrees. But it's still a good trip, having a lot of fun and seeing some interesting stuff, getting that mental stimulation that I mentioned last week that is so important. One thing that we've done this week that I've done on other trips before, and I didn't mention this to you, but I'm gonna now, and that's a bus tour. A bus tour trip, so smart, such the way to go. We've done it four times. I always thought these bus tour trips were for old people. They're not, they're for kids too. We had Nick and Danielle, who at the time were in their early 20s, do a bus tour trip with us in New Orleans. They loved it. Last summer, Sam was 22. She did two bus tours with us, one in the Black Hills and the other one at Glacier National Park, and she loved them. The bus tours, great. This is the best tip I'm giving to you for quite some time. When you travel, look at the tours, get a bus tour set up, you won't be disappointed. The driver is normally a guide, but sometimes the guide is on the bus along with a driver. In every case that we've gone on a bus tour, that person, the guide, has been a, in air quotes on this one, a native. Someone that's from the area and they provide awesome insight. They give you a lot of backstory. Backstory, as you know from listening to this podcast, is something I'm very interested in. I always love to hear the backstory to what everybody knows. The backstory on these bus tours is just so interesting. Now, you're not just sitting on a bus. The bus takes you somewhere. The tour guide tells you stories about where you're going and where you've been and what you're passing up. And then when you get to an interesting place, you get out and you walk around. On the bus tour here in Williamsburg, we walked three miles. So you're not just sitting on a bus. I mean, you can if you want. There are a lot of people that do this and have mobility issues. This particular tour had two families with small kids. So they chose not to do a lot of walking when we got to the different sites. No reason for us not to, so we did. In every bus tour that I've ever taken, a meal is included. And the meal is tied into what the tour is all about in some regard. That just enhances your experience that much more. With a bus tour, you're gonna see and do more things in less time. And it's gonna be way better than you could ever do on your own. Guys, I'm really, really, really pushing this because I think you would not be disappointed. Give a bus tour a shot on your next tour. It's very easy to find. You can find them at the resort that you're staying at. You can use AAA, AARP, or just do a simple web search. Wherever you might be going, if it's a tourist stop, then why else would you go there? I'll bet that you can find a bus tour that you would really enjoy. They put they pick you up at a convenient location. We've always been picked up at the resort we're staying. They drop you off at the same place. They're doing all the work. Love it. Recommend it. Please, for your own vacation and travel enjoyment, give it a shot sometime. You won't be disappointed.
So you can count that little bit I just went over as what I typically do is what's on the old man's mind. And of course it's travel. That's what I'm doing right now. So that's on my mind. And since I tied in the recommendation to use a bus tour sometime on your travels, there's your old man's tip right there. So kind of blend those two parts of what I typically do in a podcast together. For the rest of this podcast, I'm going to do early American trivia. How about that? Early American trivia will challenge you history people. And then I'm going to roll an I Remember When segment into our mindset for happiness and keep those two things together, kind of I'll pull pieces out that'll make sense to you as you listen to it. But that's what we're going to do. I'm going to start off with the trivia, and that's coming up right now. So for the trivia questions, as I said, I'm sitting here in a parking lot in my car. I'm going to make up these trivia questions. I didn't look them up. I don't have a book I'm pulling them out of. Just from some of the experiences that I've had in the last couple of days. Some things that I noticed. And when I see them, I'm going, that would be a good trivia question for the podcast. So I've got five of them. Hopefully I'm right on the answers for all five. But our adjudicator... Einstein will let me know which ones I'm wrong on. Hopefully that's none of them. All right, here we go. First question. Trip to Jamestown. That was the bus tour that we took to Jamestown and Yorktown. So you get a couple of questions from each of those locations. The, the leader of the native tribes at the time when the boats came from England and landed there at what became known as Jamestown, his name was Powtatan. I hope I'm saying that right, but probably not. The dude was tough. He started off when he took over the leadership of the native people in that vicinity at that time with like eight tribes. By the time he was done, he had dozens. The guy was, he was tough as nails. So when the colonials got here from England, they had to deal with him. Keep in mind, all three of the boats, the only passengers were men. There were no women on this trip. Not like the pilgrims coming over in the Mayflower. That wasn't the case. It was all men settling at what became Jamestown. You can see the obvious problems, right? With a group of all men, that's going to be some problems. Well, the chief of the local tribes, Powhatan, had a daughter. She became famous because the I'm sure the settlers sought out the native people pretty quick wanted to check out the female population because they didn't bring any with them and she was one of the first ones getting checked out so what was her name what was the chief's name and the woman his daughter she ended up going back to England with settlers do you know her name that long story ends with the name of Disney character also Pocahontas Pocahontas was really the chief's daughter. She did not marry John Smith. John Smith was a bad boy. Spent the whole trip from England to Jamestown in the brig, in handcuffs. He was under arrest. The Indian princess, Pocahontas, ended up getting hooked up with a different John, 
I don't remember his name, but he was just a regular dude, kind of boring by John Smith standards, farmer, hard worker, all that kind of stuff. But who gets the chicks? The bad boys. So with the story of Pocahontas is always tied into John Smith, especially with Disney. It's the bad boys. Don't the bad boys always get the chick? I hate that. I had a trip to Washington, D.C. just yesterday going to the Lincoln Memorial. I noticed that the chief justice of the Supreme Court was the fella that dedicated the Lincoln Memorial when it opened up the first time. I also noticed that he was a president, former president of the United States. So to my knowledge, there is at least one U.S. president who went on to become a Supreme Court Chief Justice. I know that one name. There could be more. Which one do you think it is? He was former president, became a Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and dedicated the Lincoln Memorial when it opened up. He was a 300-pounder. They got stuck in a bathtub once. William Howard Taft. Next question. From Yorktown, where the Patriots finished off the British and earned their freedom, so to speak. There was a huge battle for what was called redoubts. Yorktown was a fort that the British had built, and the fort itself was surrounded by smaller fortifications called readouts, French word. Basically think of it as a circular, like a donut. They got the wooden spikes sticking out of it, a ditch going down, and it's hard to attack. And that's where they put their cannon at, and they used those cannons to help protect the fort. Until the two readouts on the British left flank were, gonna, were taken, there was no hope of taking Yorktown. So Washington put one of his best officers on the task of taking out the readouts. The French, now our allies at this time, were going to take readout number nine, and the Patriots, soon to be called Americans, were going to take out readout number 10. There was a lieutenant colonel who became very famous, led the assault on readout number 10, and he pulled it off. They captured that readout. The French saw what the Americans did. They said, we can do that too. By taking those two positions, they're able to bring Yorktown to its knees. Who was that young lieutenant colonel who led the victory at Yorktown? You may have heard him if you like Broadway plays. That's right, Alexander Hamilton led the charge that won the victory at Yorktown. I had no idea. All right, here's a quick one without a whole bunch of explaining. Who was the British king at the time the Patriots won their independence? The British king, whom the United States became a country, breaking away from the colonies, was King George. Okay, here's the last one. While we were in D.C., we went to the Washington Monument. The last time I went there, which was more than 10 years ago, we weren't able to go to the Washington Monument because it was closed. It had been damaged and was under repair. It was no longer under repair, and you could go on up it. We didn't, but you can. Maybe next time I will. But why 
did the Washington Monument become damaged and needed repair? What caused that damage? The answer is an earthquake. Really, I never thought about that, but Washington, D.C. suffered an earthquake that caused some damage to the Washington Monument. Well, how'd you do on your American history trivia? I hope you did good. I hope I'm right on all these, but I hope you did well. So I remember when, way back in the late 80s, I was a young coach trying to build a program in a place where a successful wrestling program had never been before. The success had always been in North County, where I was actually from. At this time in the late 80s, North St. Louis County was still the hotbed of high school wrestling, and a long-established program, McClure North High School, with its coach, Charlie Schertz, was killing it. That was what I wanted to be, but I was in a desert of wrestling success, trying to turn it into an oasis, I guess. I saw the success that Coach Schertz and McClure North was having, and I wanted to get my program to that point. So, the mindset for happiness part of this talk comes in there. Being successful is to be happy. Happiness is found in our quest for success. Now, we have goals. I've talked about this so many times, and I'm sure I will again. We set goals. We strive. We work. Persevere. Maybe we make it to what we were hoping for. Maybe we don't. But it's that journey, it's that quest that makes us happy. So what I'm saying here in the mindset for happiness part of this story is you got to be willing to do what needs to be done. And I don't mean unethical or immoral or certainly not illegal. I mean the hard things. To reach your goals, to overcome obstacles. In my case, it was just... Well, ignorance, nobody knew, the people I was working with didn't know what it would take to be a successful wrestling program. They had never seen it. That was a huge obstacle for me. What was I willing to do to open up their eyes, to open up their minds, to help them see what needed to be done? And my answer was going to be whatever I needed to do. At a coach's clinic, Coach Scherch talked about a system. That was one of his secrets to success. He was on the cusp of winning four straight state titles. He knew what he was talking about. He'd won state titles at three different schools now. You had to listen to everything he was talking about, and I certainly did. He talked about a system that he had implemented, and it had a name. We all had heard of it. The Granby Wrestling System. Now, Granby is a place here in Virginia, and... A coach way, way older than anybody I knew had established this wrestling system. His sons had become coaches and perpetuated it. Here in the Southeast, it was very successful, and it had become successful as well for Coach Sherrits here in St. Louis. Grammy's a move, but that's not 
the move, the Granby move, that's what all of us wrestling people knew it as, that wasn't the secret. Coach Sheritz was adamant that the secret was the system. There's two things on this story that I'm telling you that I want to point to that will help us all be successful. Number one, immerse yourself in professionalism. I said I was at a coach's clinic. Now, you're probably not a coach, but you have a profession. Join organizations for your profession. Attend conferences. Be collegial with people that also do the same thing that you do. There's so much to learn from other people. In my case, I honestly don't think I ever had a unique idea. I don't think I ever came up with my own concepts. I just pulled things that other people used that worked for them and brought them into the program that I was developing and the system that I wanted to have for my boys was really a hybrid of so many others that I'd seen from other people. So immerse yourself professionally. And the second thing that I point to for success is that idea of a system. Now, I've talked about that a lot, and I probably will again. I'm a big believer in the organic development of a system, that the people in your organization develop your procedures and your policies. But it also has to be planned. You, as the leader, have to establish what the guidelines are, what the goals are, what you're shooting for. Yes, you can let the people within the organization kind of develop those policies or that whatever that system is going to be. But the system comes from both of those aspects, an organic and a planned one. So those are two things I'm pointing to right now that you need to make sure you're doing professionally in order to be successful. Immerse yourself in professionalism and develop a system. So, going back to 1980-something, I don't remember exactly what year it was, and I did this two, maybe three times, but on the first time, I set out with 15 boys in a 15-passenger van headed to Hampton Sydney College in Farmville, Virginia for a Granby wrestling camp. Now, if you were following the math on that, you just heard me say 15 boys in a 15-passenger van. Who was driving? I was. Yeah, that's right. 16 people in a 15-passenger van. All their gear stuffed under the seats, piled up on top of everybody. The parents were dropping the kids off. I still remember Jerry and Ruth Lieberoff. Like, I, just, I can't believe I'm doing this because their son wasn't even in high school yet. They were going to let their little 8th grade kid make this trip with us. I had sold it to the boys as a fun experience, almost like a vacation. So I knew I had some kids coming along just for vacation, Steve Berger. But I also wanted them to bring them into the wrestling aspects. So by selling it as a vacation trip, I was trying to get as many boys as involved as I could. That was one of the main avenues to build a program is to get buy-in, to get kids involved. So I was trying to get as many as I could. That's why I had 16 of us in a 15-passenger van. <laughs> no, it wasn't safe. The very first thing we're doing, we're to leave St. Louis and we're going across Illinois, the tire explodes in the back. Now, I didn't wreck the van or anything, but we pulled over, put the spare on, and yeah, we went all the way to Farmville, Virginia and back driving on a spare. Dumb. Would I do that now? No way. But this is almost 40 years ago, 
it was kind of a different world. It certainly wasn't as litigious, and I was dumb. I was just a dumb kid. Single, didn't have a family, wasn't married, nothing like that. It was just me and my wrestling program, and I was going to do what it needed to be done to get me to the level that I wanted to be at. Once we got to the camp at Hampton Sydney University, it was great. The kids got all kinds of experience, learned the moves. We, as a coach, I was taking notes, shooting video, you know, what was it, probably uh, used a camcorder, maybe even beta max. I don't know, but I was recording as much as I could and just soaking it all in and learning as much as I could. As I said, I pushed the experience on the kids and their parents, so I had to use a couple of different avenues to entice them, not just the fun for the boys, but I had to let the parents know it was going to be educational too. Farmville was right near Appomattox, so we did visit Appomattox where the Civil War ended. I still got a picture of that one. All those goofy kids, we all grabbed sticks and they reenacted the uh, surrender, uh, the battle of Appomattox and the surrender using sticks like they were guns. I told them I was going to take them to the beach. I did. I, and I am saying beach in air quotes. Craig noticed that right away. Like, this isn't a beach, this is a sandbar. Yeah, we went to the beach at Yorktown. Yorktown is on the mouth of the York River, which dumps into the Chesapeake Bay. There was sand, but it was, nah, probably not a beach. He figured that one out. I took him to Jamestown. I took him to Williamsburg. One year, Pat Benson's dad had uh, worked for Elijah Bush, got us tickets to Bush Gardens, so all the guys got to go to Bush Gardens. That was a great trip. They were fun trips, and I had, like I said, no family yet, so it was a way for me to get out and have some fun, too. It was educational, but more importantly, it was very important to me developing my program. Based on many of the things I learned at this camp, I got a system in place, really got our program on the map based on this Granby system that I used. Years later, we had to move on from the Granby system, the way that high school wrestling in the St. Louis area, especially the way it was officiated, but it had changed, and that particular system wasn't working for us the way it had early on. But early on, the effects of that success that we had were immeasurable. Kids flocked to the successful program that I was building. Guys began to believe that they could be successful. They developed confidence based on the success that my boys were having following this Granby system. And that was a tough accomplishment, building a program in a place where a program had never been before. And it took a lot of work to pull that off. Now, I'm not looking for uh, thanks. I've already gotten all that. I get all the gratitude I could ever want. It wasn't about that. I'm pointing this out for this podcast. This is what you need to do in your profession. If you want to be successful, then you'll not be afraid of taking on tough tasks. You'll be willing to do what it takes to get the job done. Setting up these trips two or three, I don't remember how many more we took, hotels between here and there, uh, camping. I had the guys, we pulled over to a truck stop one time and everybody slept and one of the guys, Steve, decided to wake me up by shaking the van. I got out hot because I had to drive another 800 miles or whatever it was the next day. So he got a Ford tattoo. I think that's the kind of 
van we were driving on his forehead. And I'm glad he forgot all about that because he could put a Ford, a Chevy, and whatever else tattoo on my head. So thanks, Steve, for forgetting about that. But I'm sure Craig's laughing right now because it was funny. Those goofballs smuggled a cat back from Virginia in this van. This is how many people was in the van. This is what was going on. We came back from Virginia to St. Louis with a cat being smuggled in the back of the van. I didn't even know it until we got back. Fun stories, right? Does it sound fun? It was fun. And it helped me get my program to where I wanted it to be. You can do that. I'm not saying you have to load up all your employees and head off to somewhere, 15 of them in a 14-passenger van or something like that. But don't be afraid to take on the tough task. Be willing to do what it takes. That will lead you to success. And that success will come to you one way or the other. You will either end up with the dreams you had, or you'll be a little bit short, but that's okay. You shot for the stars, settling for the moon is never that bad. And I'm going to tell you why. Because along the way, you're going to have some fun. Fun that you will remember fondly long after it's all over. Alright, there you go. Now I'm not kidding. This time I really do have to go to the bathroom. I've been, I've been sitting out here in the car in this parking lot for like an hour now. So yeah, I do have to go to the bathroom. Not only that, people are walking by and looking at this guy talking to himself and, and somebody may call the police. So this episode of the Old Man's Podcast has come to a conclusion. I hope I told you some funny stories, but I also hope I made my point. My point about success, you have to be willing to do the hard things. You have to be willing to take the long, hard journey to be successful. And it is that journey, as I said, that's going to be fun. It's going to be your memories. It's going to be fun at the time. And later on, it's going to be many happy memories, just like I'm having. And with that, you will be living boldly. Get off my grass! Damn kids. Damn kids.